Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. I'm delighted to say we are on episode number 38. And my next guest, Keith Barry. Now, I really hope this introduction does him some justice because he'll let me know other way. Uh, Keith Barry uh, is known as the world's leading TV hypnotist, mentalist, and brain hacker. Keith Barry has been blazing a trail across the globe for many years. His mind-blowing skills have been showcased in over 40 international television shows, including his most recent series, The Keith Barry Experience. He's also recently starred in ITV's smash hit series, you're back in the in the room where you're hip where he hypnotized guests and contestants to stop them winning the prize money. Stop them. That'll be interesting to find out about that. Uh, the first hypnosis format on TV in the UK in several years. This show uh, garnered huge audiences and proved a big primetime hit for ITV. Keith, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how are you? You well? Brilliant, brilliant. Listen, I, I hope that intro did you some sort of justice. Um, but what I what I try and do with um most of our guests is just talk a little bit about growing up and I suppose childhood and how you get into magic. Yeah, so look, uh, it, it's so funny to me because when you look up on, on Wikipedia, there's a huge chunk of my history missing from Wikipedia and I never even looked into how to get that fixed. So on Wikipedia, it'll tell you that I started when I was 14, but actually the truth be told, I started magic when I was five. So I got a Paul Daniels magic set when I was five years of age for Christmas. And that like initially fired up my interest in magic. And then every year after that, I would get magic sets for Christmas, for my birthday and so on. And I was always messing around with magic and, you know, I suppose, uh, you know, just pranks and stuff like that. But it was really then when I was 14, I got a, a really good book on magic called The Klutz Book of Magic on a school tour in Scotland, actually. And ultimately that book really, I suppose, changed my life. Um, you know, that book came with five props and ultimately I learned every trick from the book and then just started to, to perform in the public eye at 15 years of age, you know. And Keith, was like your family or your father into magic before or was it just you saw a deck of cards or how did that come about? No, it was literally just that Paul Daniels magic set. But, you know, my dad was a performer back in the day. So he was a singer and he used to sing, at, you know, semi-professional level. So, you know, down in Waterford, which is where we're from, there'd be a thing called the Tops of the Town, which is kind of the, uh, you know, the big theatrical performance of the year. So if, if it was Jesus Christ Superstar, my dad would be Jesus. If it was Joseph and his Technicolor raincoat, my dad would be Joseph. And then he was in the show bands as well. Um, so like he was... He could have gone professional. Uh, uh, there's a long story behind that, but ultimately, when my mother got together with him, she she gave him the ultimatum that no entertainer wants to hear. It's either me or hit the road and do your entertainment. So he chose my mum. Uh, thankfully for us, obviously, but uh, but that was kind of the end of his uh, semi-professional or professional uh, road to entertainment. But I think I get a lot of my uh, performance aspect, if you like, from him. Okay, brilliant. And Keith, when you're in your teenage years, was like. Were you looking at education or career-wise, or did just magic just click for you? I always knew, I think deep down, right from a very young age, that you know I'd found my passion and that ultimately I was going to turn that passion into a full-time career. But you know, my parents were massively supportive of you know magic and mentalism and hypnotism. Uh, but you know, they were always saying, "Look, it's a tough road, entertainment. So you got to go get uh, a degree. You got to go to college." So look. You know, I, I didn't think too much about it, I don't think. I think I just kind of went along with that and I went to college. So I went, a lot of people don't know, I'm a cosmetic scientist by trade. So I used to invent women's makeup. Um, so I did four years in Galway. Um, I did a BSc, I graduated with honors chemistry uh, and then moved to Dublin, got a job in Oriflame, which is a Swedish cosmetics company. Um, and I was a cosmetic scientist for two and a half years, you know. Um, but yeah, look, as I said, my parents were massively supportive, but I think the right... The right thing for them to say was to go to college. Look, I look at a lot of struggling young magicians these days, and some of them have left school before they even get the leave insert in the hope or dream, if you like, of being a full time magician. And I always say to them, look, that's the wrong route. If you if you want to if you want to get to where I got to, which 
uh, you know, is being full time and, and comfortably full time, um, then I think it's the right thing to do to go to college, if I'm being brutally honest with you, because at least you have something to fall back on, you know. And when you were performing for people throughout college or whatever it be, did you embrace it or was there any bit of fear there getting in front of the audiences or how was that? I didn't really, looking back on it, I didn't really do much magic in college. Like I did a couple of tricks in the college bar, but I kind of kept it, I wouldn't say a hidden secret. Everybody kind of knew that I did magic, but I didn't really perform magic that much in college. It was more when I went back to Waterford. So I would go back to Waterford every single weekend from Galway because my girlfriend then, who's my wife now, she was still down in Waterford. So I would go back down to her every weekend from college. Um, massively hungover, I might add, every Friday uh, because college night was a Thursday night in Galway. So I'd be in bits on the bus going back down. But ultimately, I'd go back down and then I would perform in the Wine Vault, which was a restaurant down there. And yeah, I mean, look, even to this day, I still get nervous. So back then, nerves, even before that, I suppose, you know, when I was just starting off, nerves were a big issue for me. Um, you know, it's it's okay as a, as a musician or a comedian to be shaking on stage because you can kind of hide that. If you grab the microphone tightly with your hands, people don't really notice that you're shaking. Or with a comedian, obviously, they can either ha- hold the microphone or just, you know, move around with their hands. But with a magician, you're holding on to objects, you know, small objects that you're expecting people to focus on. If your hands are shaking, that doesn't look so good. So I used to have a big problem with the shakes early in my career. And I think I just kind of battled through that and I just kept going. And eventually you learn confidence over time and those shakes settle down. But yeah, and even now I still get nervous, you know. And Keith, what was, you were working for um, the makeup company, if I'm correct. What was next or, or what, what was after that? What happened next? Well, I, I was in there from, you know, straight from college. So when I was 21 till I was just about 23 and a half. And then I was busy in Dublin. Uh, with magic so I was during the day a cosmetic scientist at night a magician so I was doing a lot of close-up corporate performances all around Dublin and, and actually all around Ireland as well so you know I was being hired a lot by like chamber of commerces all over Ireland and I was doing weddings I was doing kids parties like I was doing it all and you know I think the right way was probably what I did which is I got so busy with the magic um, and I was getting so much extra income from the magic. I knew it was the right time to take that chance. So yeah, like I walked into Oriflame one day, I typed up my uh, resignation notice on their computer, printed it off on their printer and handed it in to Bernie O'Neill, who was my boss at the time. And she was shocked. I mean, they all knew I did magic, but she was like, you're really going to be a full-time magician. Uh, and at that time I was growing up through the ranks in Oriflame pretty quickly. So. Like they had me tagged as a full-time process chemist, which basically would have meant I would have looked after full-scale production for Oriflame in a lot of different countries. So like I was already at 23 flying over on my own to uh, Poland, over to Warsaw, and I was looking after full-scale production there. So they were really shocked when I handed in my notice. But ultimately, I, I kind of just knew it was the right time because I was so busy. So I jumped into it full-time, and let me tell you, it wasn't easy. I was living in a crappy little flat in Dublin um, with my girlfriend, as I said, who is now my wife, Maid. And like literally you couldn't move in this flat, uh, wasn't earning much money from the magic, but look, I was happy. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I put like all of my energy into making that happen, you know? And Keith, when we see like big things like catch me if you can and CSI Miami, how did like, was there a break or did someone see you where you were on the States radar in the UK? How did that come about? Yeah. So I was doing a lot. So I started to travel to the States when you know shortly after i became full-time i started traveling to the states you know but really not working just taking meetings and prospecting and trying to work the hollywood scene and stuff like that so i would spend for the next two or three years i was spending kind of like i don't know anywhere between three and six months a year out in la trying to hustle la and for that what that really meant was the same as what i did here like here i managed to infiltrate the kitchen nightclub uh, which for anybody who remembers was the top nightclub in ireland at the time and i became the the VIP magician, if you like, in the VIP area there. So I kind of, because that worked for me in Ireland, I modeled that in LA. In other words, I was going into these top Hollywood nightclubs, bypassing the security and then infiltrating the celebrities. So, you know, I actually just came across a photograph yesterday, um, which will cost me $150 or $450, depending on what size I want, to buy it off of Getty images, but it was a, a photograph. I don't even remember it really, but it's me performing for Harrison Ford and Calista Flockhart. Um, but that that was kind of a nightly thing for me is getting in front of those celebrities. And then I was in a, 
uh, a nightclub one time and there was an MTV executive there who, like I didn't know this, she was just sitting in the corner, but I was performing for Paris Hilton, um, uh, uh, Kelly Osbourne, so Paris Hilton, Kelly Osbourne, um, Paul Rosenberg, who's Eve's manager, uh, and some other celebrity. And they're all kind of freaking out and screaming, running around the nightclub. And this MTV exec just walked over and said, um, what's your name? And I said, Keith Barry. She said, uh, okay, I'm an, uh, my name is Heather Parry. I work in MTV. I'm going to give you your own special. Do you fancy going to Mexico next week? And I was like, sorry. She was like, yeah, Mexico next week. I'm going to give you your own magic special. And the next week I had my first magic special, which was called Brainwashed on MTV. So that was kind of my break, but that came after like two to three years of being in LA and hustling LA. So, you know, I've spent a lot of time over the years in LA and it kind of tickles me a lot when you see some Irish people coming out and like in their minds, they're going to break LA in four weeks. So they come out for like a pilot season, they try to get work in four weeks, but actually it really takes uh, time to have your feet on the ground out there and be established before you get that break is what I would say, you know? And Keith, any advice on that, like to any of the listeners, that obviously takes a lot of resilience to get up and go, to be hustling, to be mm. knocking on doors, getting in front of people. I'm sure there was down days and up days. Uh, but is there any advice, like, did you get that from a young age or where did that come from? Yeah, I think you learn it over time. I mean, look, resilience is a separate thing, I suppose, again. But, you know, you know if you just start with work ethics, I think I got the work ethic from my mum, my dad. You know, I look at what's going on in the world right now and I think people think they have work ethic, but they don't really, you know, like even in the TV world, around the world, I'll give you an example. So in the TV world around the world, when I'm in a production, right, because everybody's on the clock and they're all on like a certain salary, if they go overtime, they get paid overtime. So everybody's watching the clock. So literally in the TV world, people clock in at nine o'clock and they clock out at five o'clock. But unfortunately, as a creator of TV formats, that doesn't work for me. So I have to do 14 to 18 hours a day when I'm in a TV production because I'm inventing the magic, I'm producing the magic and mentalism and hypnotism. That's work ethic. You know, work ethic for me, I talk about super activity mode. So here's a tip for your listeners. So super activity mode is quite simple. It's three months of look after your health, look after your family. And after that, nothing except work, like nothing matters except work. So look after your health first and foremost, look after your family secondary, make sure you spend enough time with them. But after that, all day, every day is absorbed by work. So some people might think that's extreme and it is extreme, but if you want to propel yourself ahead of your competitors, whatever that is, or you want to be successful in whatever it is that you want to be successful in, then you have to put in the long hours. So for me, long hours and super activity mode is about uh, like, now. Look, I'll, I'll prefix this by saying you got to put in an hour. Uh, so for me, I put in an hour uh, of fitness every day and then an hour minimum with my family every day. And then I loosen that up at the weekends. OK, so now with that being said, then super activity mode is 16 to 17 hours every single day on work. OK, that means Netflix is gone. That means your social media is gone unless you need to post on social media for your business then that's fine. But I'm talking about this nonsense of scrolling through and getting absorbed into all of that. So if you do three months of that, you'll find that your business will be propelled about 24 months ahead of where it would be ordinarily at that moment in time. And I've done this with a lot of clients of mine because again, a lot of your listeners may not know, like I'm a, a mind coach and executive coach for a lot of business people. And ultimately I put them on this program of super activity mode. And the change is phenomenal when people do that. Now, of course you have to do that in the right structured way. Uh, but if you do that, again, the results will be astounding. Um, and again, I go back to it. Like, I think people in the days that we're in, I hate to say it, I think people have gotten a lazy mindset now, you know, with social media and so on. And, you know, but, but then I look at people like Elon Musk. So he's like the extreme version of it, right? So he talks about doing like 120 hour work weeks every single week, but he says that it's a painful process for him. It isn't painful for me because I enjoy what I do so much and I only do it for three months at a time. After that, I will burn out uh, and, and other people will burn out too, but I think it's sustainable for three months. Um, so that's something that I do a lot of. And then resilience for me, look, I could talk about it till the cows come home. Like resilience is an attained skill, an attained attribute. Um, you're not born with resilience. Uh, you have to learn it. And as adults, you have to take responsibility for how to learn resilience, you know? Brilliant. It's amazing. Uh, nuggets there, Keith. Thanks for sharing. Uh, just, Keith, if we go back to like you hustling in the States, um, there's one thing I want to pick up on. What was like at the time when you'd left Ireland to go and after your dream, 
did you were you big on visualization and here's the end goal here's where we want to be or how did that come about yeah so look i've always been big on creative visualization like i, I kind of discovered it if you like at a very young age and for me here's a large claim a bold statement if you like uh, but i'll stand behind it every single thing every single thing that i've creatively visualized has come into fruition now that's far different than the secret so i don't believe in the secret insofar as sitting there visualizing your goals and dreams and hoping that a lamborghini is going to land outside your front door or that in you know two or three weeks you're going to get a lamborghini or get enough money to get a lamborghini so i don't believe in any of that so what i do believe in is a formula that i have so i'm a scientist so i live by formulas um, and i quite like formulas so i've got this formula which is w plus ma times att equals gs so again i'll i'll, I'll say it again so you, your listeners can write it down if they want to so w plus MA times ATT equals GS. Okay, so W is your why, your purpose. You have to know exactly what your purpose is. And people sometimes, when they listen to somebody like me say that, they go, oh, well, I know my purpose. If I asked you right now what your purpose is, not you, but your listeners, if I asked you right now exactly what your purpose is, I would bank a lot of money that 99% of people would not be able to answer that simple question. I asked it just not so long ago, I was brought in, I'm not going to say who it is, I'm not even going to say what sport it was, but I was brought into a team scenario recently, a very high level team that everybody here would know. And I asked the captain of the team, what is your purpose? What is the purpose of the team? And he faffed around and he, he gave me some long-winded, nonsensical answer. And it was so obvious to me that he'd never even thought about it. So I think at the times that we're in, people need to take a step back for a moment to go, well, actually, what is my purpose? What is my why? And write it down, you know, because it changes over time. So my purpose, like if I was to tell you my purpose, like March 6th last year, standing on stage in front of one and a half thousand people in the Olympia, my purpose right there and then is to create a sense of wonder and escapism where everybody forgets about their everyday problems and they remember what it was to have that childlike experience again. Bang, that's it. I know exactly what my purpose is. Why? Because I'd written it down in advance. I knew that, that was my purpose. My purpose when I'm talking to executive coach or executives and when I'm coaching them and when I'm coaching like athletes, you know, I've worked with Rory Best and I worked with Keith Earls and I worked with all these other people like Scott Evans and Olympic swimmers and stuff. And ultimately my purpose is to serve them and make them better. So I know exactly my why is my purpose, but you need to know as well. So if I would start there, write down your why, write down your purpose, because that's the reason that you get up at a bed early in the morning. That's the reason that when you hit those hard times, your resilience will be there because you'll know exactly why it is that you're doing what you're doing. Now, doing that in and of itself, knowing your why is one step, but then you have to add in massive action. So I'm a big proponent of massive action. Super activity mode is part of that, but ultimately I take massive action every day. So, you know, we're told write down our goals and our dreams. That's all fine, but what actions are you going to take to propel you towards those goals and those dreams and then i would say like uh, in grant cardone's terms uh, 10x those actions you know so for me i know the resistance points as well so i know some people will say oh look, keith i'm already maxed out i don't have the time to to do any more well actually most people listening to this right now are spending about 13 and a half hours during their work week digitally distracted so in other words they're wasting 13 and a half hours of their work week on their social media on their music on their videos and so on and so on and so on so you all have the time everybody has the time to put in massive action so i say w plus ma so if you know your why and you add in massive action if you times that with your attitude so the correct mental attitude then you are guaranteed equals gs guaranteed success so if I asked everybody here today, what do you do right now that's guaranteed? Most people would say, well, nothing in life is guaranteed. I absolutely disagree with you because everything that I've done has started with creative visualization coupled with that formula. So if you know your why, add in massive action, times your attitude, which involves creative visualization, equals guaranteed success. So when I visualized myself headlining in, 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 uh, in Las Vegas, I ended up headlining in Planet Hollywood in Las Vegas. Last year when the pandemic hit, I visualized myself uh, pivoting and putting a new business together. And ultimately now, look, I'm really busy online uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. But then I visualized other things. Like So I visualized uh, getting a new TV series this year in the middle of the pandemic. And look, I haven't gotten it yet, but I know it's gonna happen because I'm not just visualizing it, I'm putting in that massive action to make it happen as well. And it won't stop. So like, I'll just never give up. 
And, you know, that resilience is there because I've built that resilience over time. And we can loop back to resilience in a few moments if you want, because I've got a lot of tips on resilience, um, if you like. But that's kind of the formula that I follow, you know. That's brilliant, Keith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be typing that up and put it on my office wall now here in front of yeah, yeah. big on um, goals and visualization. Grant Scarron, I've actually read a couple of his books. But um, uh, Keith, if we talk about, there's two things I want to pick up on there. Some of the successful or what would be known to whether it's sports people or celebrities or whatever it might be, some of the, maybe they're business people. Is there anything you've noticed with successful people that they have one thing in common? Yeah, uh, but it's not what you would expect. So look, I've read Tim Ferriss's books where, you know, he's asked the same successful people the same questions. And, you know, there's a strand that goes through that. So for example, when I examined Tim Ferriss's work on him working with high performance people, the kind of strain that went through there, if you like, is a lot of them meditate, right? So a lot of them meditate, especially the modern day performers. But the one thing that I found actually was really interesting, I think, for your listeners to find out is they all suffer from the imposter syndrome. So they all have it, right? So they all feel like, you know, they're gonna get caught out someday, that they're not good enough and they shouldn't be in the position that they're in. So whether that's an executive or an athlete, it's the same across the board. Every single person I've ever talked to suffers from the imposter syndrome. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like I've had it myself in the past as well. It's like, you know, when I get this, when I maybe get a TV show in the US, you know, on a network such as CBS or whatever it is, which I've done in the past, and I'm standing there going, wow, like David Copperfield has been here for 20 years. And now all of a sudden I'm here. My God, I'm not good as, I'm not as good as David Copperfield. I'm not, I shouldn't be here. I like, you know, so the imposter syndrome is something that everybody suffers from. And then you have to learn how to work through that imposter syndrome to ultimately acknowledge the fact that you deserve to be in that position, whatever that position is for you. If you've worked hard enough, if you've put in the hours, if you have the talent, then ultimately you do deserve to be there. And it's acknowledging that. But it, it was funny to me that I realized, you know, probably last year that every single person that I've worked with suffers from the imposter syndrome. And it's nice to know that. I think it's nice for people to know that, that, you know, if you're feeling that way, acknowledge the fact that the person who's perhaps sitting opposite you in a meeting or perhaps a high power negotiation or whatever it is, ultimately that per person is definitely, I'll tell you, definitely feeling the same way, or at least has done in the past at some stage. So if you would acknowledge that and understand that other people, the majority of people either feel that way or have felt that way at some point in the past, then it kind of eases that imposter syndrome, I find. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Keith, you mentioned earlier, just obviously the pandemic and everybody, uh, I suppose, took it in a different way. People saw it as a positive. There's opportunities. Some people thought it was the worst thing ever. Mm. I suppose two parts of this. How how did you react to it or how did it affect you and your business? And then would there be any advice you'd give people that are maybe struggling right now with the pandemic? Yeah, so look, first of all, I live by certain mantras. And some of them I have written down, some of them I don't have written down. But one of the mantras I live by is, it doesn't matter what happens to you, it's how you react that matters, right? So it doesn't matter what happens to you, it's how you react. And I firmly believe that because you're going to have really bad moments. Uh, personally, you're going to have really bad moments such as the pandemic hit everybody. Um, but look, as I mentioned, I was standing on stage in front of almost one and a half thousand people March 6th last year. And then March 7th, I was told I had to shut down the tour, um, which I, look, I was lucky. I only had two dates left. So it was just, you know, not doing those two dates. But here's the thing, like live entertainment is gone and we don't know when it's coming back. Like even as I talk to you now, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the pubs didn't get mentioned recently and the restaurants didn't get mentioned uh you know we hear a lot about the hairdressers but actually you know there's not too many voices right now for the entertainment industry and the entertainment industry is gone it's decimated and and they're like we don't know when we're coming back so for me what happened was when i was told like march 7th i had to shut down you know like everybody i just i suppose i was just kind of shocked so i took a couple of weeks off but then I found myself a little bit lost like I, I kind of lost my se sense of purpose because I'm such a go-getter and you know I was just kind of hanging around uh, you know, I spent some time with the kids and the family and that was nice but then I didn't see it like when you with your question you were like some people saw it as a positive and I, I did so I heard that from a lot of entertainers I'll say that so high-end entertainers I heard them all saying like at least for the first couple of months oh this is great I, you know I've been traveling so much for so many years it's lovely to spend time at home I didn't feel that at all because I'm always very mindful of spending enough time with my kids and spending enough time with my family so I didn't need to spend more time with them I'll tell you that 
Like I didn't need to be at home. So I wasn't enjoying that aspect of it. And then I felt a kind of a loss of purpose. I didn't know what to do because I'm such a, uh, you know, I'm a traveler and I'm a person who needs and wants, you know, physical contact and meeting people. So ultimately, but then I had to kind of flip my mind and go, okay, Keith, you got to get on this now because the business is going to be gone for a long time. So you got to create a new business. How do you do that? Well, you got to pivot online. So that's what I did. And I, I just pivoted online, but I bought like tons of equipment. Uh, I'm standing here talking to you on it right now in my cabin in my back garden. Uh, so I converted this into a virt virtual studio. Again, put in massive activation. I like I, I went into massive activation mode. My wife kind of gives out to me for it now because we got so busy last year. It was a bit nuts. But ultimately, uh, then I sent out, like over the course of the summer, when everybody else was painting the fence and cutting the grass, we sent out 5,000 emails prospecting new clients because we had no business. There was no business there. And it doesn't really matter that I was well known or anything. I mean, none of that really, in my opinion, that doesn't, it helps a little bit maybe, but it doesn't really matter. Like, you know, they needed to know, they being the, the companies and corporates that I was targeting, they needed to know that I had a quality product that I'd actually put online. So when everybody else, as I said, was paint the fences, cutting the grass, um, you know, we sent out 5,000 emails to kind of our pre-existing customer base and then prospecting new customers as well. And really nothing happened for a while. So I thought, well, that's a huge waste of time. But then I got like one gig online, then I got another gig online. And then ultimately, like it was crazy in November, December last year, like we were doing five to seven gigs a day. And obviously that's eased up now, you know, so now we're doing about three to five a week, which is plenty still. Um, but, you know, again, to loop back to it, I just sat down and I got inside myself and creatively visualized you know, I allowed, I allowed my mind to play first and foremost, like as in play with, okay, what is the way forward for me? Is it online or is it actually, uh, you know, just executive coaching for a while? Is it just uh, coaching athletes? Is it, you know, what is it? So for me, you know, it was a mixture of keynotes and entertainment delivered to the corporates. And that's where I sit right now. But I would say to people listening, you know, it's it's difficult. So I get that, right? So I absolutely get, especially if you're employed by somebody else, uh, that's hard, but it's even more difficult for the self-employed people because they got bills to pay and the pop payment won't pay their bills. But here's the thing. I think you need to stop and be creative. I think you need to stop, sit back, put pen to paper, creatively visualize and figure your own way out of this. You know, we can all moan about the government and the way they're dealing with this. We can moan about vaccines, we can whinge and moan, none of it's going to change anything. That's what people need to realize. Like me or you whinging or moaning at Leo and at Hall and all the rest of it, that is not going to change one way or one thing going forward in this. They're dealing with it the way they're going to deal with it. They're dealing with it with an effort. So people going out the streets, people moaning online, people, none of it's going to matter. So if you understand that none of that's going to matter because it's outside of your control, you can say the power of the people and all the rest. Truth be told, forget about that right? Because it's outside of your control. So now what can you take control of? Well, I don't know if you're, if you're a business, like a, like a pub, for example, can you do something online in the interim period that will generate some revenue? Whatever that, I'm not a pub creative, so I'm not going to give ideas. It could be cocktail classes. It could be anything. I don't know, but I'm just saying you got to be creative. If you're, um, if you're a hairdresser, what can you do? Can you sell product online? Can you, you got to be clever and you got to be creative. Uh, and I know some people are, some people have been, and it's fantastic to see. Um, but I really feel actually uh, for entertainers because they're kind of pigeonholed a little bit insofar as there's nothing else that they can really do. But again, I even say to them, like I've, I talked to some comedians, the comedians find it hard to translate online. So I say, all right, well, here's what you need to do in the interim period, set up comedy classes, right? So set up an account on Eventbrite, uh, charge whatever it is that you feel is fair to charge and that you think people will pay and then give comedy classes. A lot of people want to learn comedy. They'd love to learn. So there's always a way is what I would say. There's always hope. There's always a way. And then hopefully like down the line for me, live entertainment will come back. Look, a lot of entertainers don't want to be the guinea pig. They don't want to be the person to put a show on sale and find that nobody's going to buy tickets because people might be too scared. And also we can't run venues on reduced capacity. The government doesn't understand that. The people don't understand that. But the maths don't add up. We cannot run on reduced capacity. I can't do 70% in the Olympia Theatre. I wouldn't make money. It's like I'm not in this. I love it as a hobby, but I'm not in it as a hobby. It's got to pay my bills. So I've got to pack the Olympia. So for me, uh, I'm willing to be the guinea pig. This is what I'm saying to you. So that's the kind of person I am. I'm a bit of a maverick like that, if you like. 
it might fail badly. I'm okay with failing, but I'm going to put a tour on sale in September for January. And I've already got 25 dates booked around the country, January, February, March. The first time I've told anybody this, um, because I'm going to go out on tour. I'm going to, uh, right now I'm estimating or predicting that by January 1st, that over 80% of the population should be fully vaccinated by then, which the government should then allow uh, venues to be fully open. And then whatever restrictions are in place, we'll deal with that when it comes. Brilliant. Listen, Keith, I could Sorry, talk to you. I, about... I, ram- I ramble a lot, so apologies. No, no, listen, um, I can't wait to listen back to this. I, I get a lot of value of listening back to my guests. And just, just a couple of points to pick up on there. First off, your worth ethic, ethic, excuse my speech. Yeah. I'm, I'm in awe of it because I'm like yourself. I'm a hustler. I knock on doors. In January, I was doing direct marketing to my corporates, dropping in yeah. gift baskets when no one was in the office to security guards and getting responses two months later. But it worked. And people are like, how do you get in? I write handwritten letters and I get in front of people. Yeah. And we have a conversation. So I, I love your 5,000 emails. I, I love your hustle. It's something I do admire. And it's something I didn't know about you. So kudos to you. Just one thing, I suppose, but, but, why I was but, at... Just a, a, but on that point, I think it's an important point. So sorry for interrupting again. No worries. But I think people don't realize that, you know, even if you're reasonably well-known, I don't like the word celebrity. I just say I'm a public persona because I'm on TV and I'm on, you know, online and whatnot. But here's the thing, right? So even at my level... Your business gets taken away from you. Corporate's not going to hire you because it's your name. They're going to hire you because you've got a product to give them, that you're providing them value, providing them service. But like you, I had to get in front of them. I had to do things. So look, I got, you know, notepads branded up. Bang, there's one right in front of you there. Keith Barry notepads with a nice pen. I sent those out. I've just ordered 2,000 decks of cards, uh, branded decks of cards, because I'm going to use those. I'm going to send them out to clients. I'm going to sell them to clients. Um, You know, and you've got to, future thinking you've got to like hustle you've got to just figure out uh, you know like you said how can you get your name in front of people all the time so give it out gift baskets people don't do it anymore so when you do something like that people appreciate it and they go oh, okay well we give him a call like let's let's just have a little look here for a second and see what he's up to and then you might get hired you know and that's the way the world is working right now yeah it's interesting i think for me the biggest thing is i think people are afraid of rejection that's one of the biggest things, mm. getting the no's. And it's the one yeah. thing I'm getting much better on. And saying no sometimes is also powerful. Just one more thing before I ask you the next question, Keith, and I'm obviously conscious of your time, so I'm much mm. appreciative there. I recorded a podcast yesterday with a guy called Steve Sims. I don't know if you've heard of him. He has a no. book. He's from LA. I'd highly recommend his book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making It Happen. But anyway, amazing story. And I asked him a similar question on the pandemic. And he said, Tom, I'm going to cut across you. He goes... Every day I used to drive on the highway, he named the highway in LA. I don't know it now. I haven't been to LA. I've been to San Francisco. And he goes, Tom, yeah, yeah. at the exits of most highways, you have people selling stuff, flowers, food, donuts, churros, whatever it might be. And he goes, I exit the highway. And this was just before lockdown. And he goes, day Monday, they were selling flowers. The day the pandemic was released, they were selling face masks and sanitizers. They adapted yeah. and improvised. And, that's, and I'm like, I'm in awe of that story and people just like changing, pivoting, as you've mentioned, that to actually make things happen. Yeah. yeah but the interesting thing is like, Sorry, Guanqui. But the interesting thing that, but no, just the interesting thing about that is, you know, people say, oh, you know, it's not that easy. I'm not telling you that this is easy. I'm telling you this is pig hard work. Like, you know what I mean? Like people sometimes look at like me or maybe, I don't know, like Tommy Tiernan or Jason Byrne or maybe an executive coach or somebody that they might uh, think is my equivalent. I guarantee you if you talk to any of these people, they put in 16, 18 hour days regularly. It's hard work. It's not easy. And it's not easy to, to, to set up, uh, you know, a new business or pivot online or whatever it is that you need to do. None of this is easy. Uh, like, but I get some of that from my dad because my dad was, uh, you know, Aside from being an entertainer, he was an amazing business person. Uh, but, you know, he set up Smart Telecom. Um, like, he founded Smart Telecom. And, like, Smart Telecom obviously uh, kind of, like, imploded, if you like. Um, and then he found himself, like, out of work. Uh, but he found himself out of work before that, uh, actually. Uh, he's, he, he's one of the co-founders of uh, Tipperary Crystal. And he thought he'd be headhunted. But ultimately, when he left there, he wasn't headhunted and he was unemployed. But my dad, like, pivoted. And he went from being the managing director 
at one stage of Tipperary Crystal to walking in Waterford, knocking on doors, selling scratch cards uh, for people to have cheaper top-ups on their mobile phones. So he went from all the way up to all the way down, but he pivoted and he found out a way. And then because of that, uh, he met somebody that he knew and they ultimately set up Smart Telecom, which was a telecommunications company. So, you know, that's somebody, somebody close to me who I massively admire pivoting and figuring out their way. But absolutely, LA, like, I love LA. I spent a lot of time in LA. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the highway. I'm sure I know it. It's, it's the one probably down to Santa Monica, but I haven't been there in a while. But ultimately, yeah, I mean, those people pivot brilliantly. Um, and like that, they they just figure out their way. But a lot of that does come back to resilience. You know, and resilience for me comes down to two points. One is in every single scenario, when, you, when you're met with a detrimental situation, a really bad situation, the first thing you have to do is accept. Accept that moment. It's the most important thing that you can do. Like, I really mean that. So for me, I've been in really, really bad situations in my past, like horrendous situations that I wouldn't put anybody through, like way worse than perhaps some people have had it. I've had it. Um, and I don't say that in any way to, to look for empathy or sympathy. Look, I've gotten through it. It's fine. But I've had some really bad moments. But the first thing I did in all of them, those moments was I quickly accepted those moments because I knew they were outside of my control. So, you know, the first really bad moment was back in 2007. I was in a head-on car collision coming back from, um, you know, Jim Aiken's funeral up the north. And ultimately, you know, my left leg was mangled. And I mean mangled now. So like broke my knee, disintegrated my tibia and fibia the whole way down. My foot was dislocated, wrapped around my shin going the wrong way. Mm. And all my metatarsals to my toes were broken. Um, and, I'm, you know, we don't have time to get into it today. But ultimately, I was five minutes from amputation. The prognosis was that I'd have a limp for the rest of my life. But immediately in the car, when I looked down at my leg, I accepted that moment. Like I literally accepted it right there and then. And then the next year, my grandfather was killed in a botched robbery down in Waterford. Uh, burglars broke in and they beat him up and he died. I accept that right there and then. Like, even though it pains me right now to even mention it to you, uh, because he was 82 and he was living a great, healthy life. And then five days later, he was dead from being beaten up. But I accept that right in the moment because I couldn't change it. So I had to accept it. So the first thing people need to understand about resilience is all resilient people, they accept that sometimes bad things happen to them. Bad things happen to good people. And then after that, you have to magnify the positive in every single moment and shrink down the negative. Because if you magnify the positive, even if the positive is just that you're alive, just that you're alive, right? If you just magnify that and then shrink down the negative, then you'll be able to take control of the situation and then figure out your own way through that moment and always focus on the end outcome. Again, the end outcome could be, you know, just being alive. Or the end outcome for me with the car accident, for example, the end outcome would be I would defy the doctors because I could control that moment and that I would walk without a limp. And here I am, whatever it is, 14 years later, and I have no limp. But that's because I went through masses of physio because I went into my massive activation mode in order to heal my leg. And I pulled all kinds of strings and I went to Anfield for physio and all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, um, for me to loop back to the moment that we're in right now, I think it's so important for people just to accept coronavirus it's here. It's here to stay. It doesn't matter what I'm a scientist. It doesn't matter what other scientists you listen to. Nobody's arguing over the fact that this is here to stay. So, you know, get over it. Get over it quickly. Shrink down the negative and now magnify the positive. What is the positive? Well, the positive is right now, the summer's on the way, right? Right now, uh, the vaccine is here. Regardless of how good or bad or slow the rollout is coming, the vaccine is here. If you're an anti-vaxxer, get over it. This is the only way forward, right? So, you know, deal with it. This is the way forward. This is the way the world is dealing with this pandemic right here, right now. So you might as well just magnify the positive, shrink down the negative, and then take control of whatever the controllables are in your life. And if you can learn to do that, you'll have way more positive days than negative days, by the way, because I bounce out of bed every morning, uh, literally bounce out of bed. But it's not because I'm born this way. It's because I program my mind to have more positive days and negative days. And again, that doesn't mean I don't have negative days. I think it's very important for people to realize that. I have down days, I have bad days, uh, but my good days way more outweigh my bad days because of the way I creatively visualize and program my mind every single day to achieve that positive mindset, you know? Brilliant. Listen, Keith, the, the, I'm excited to listen back to this because I'm trying to process it all at the moment. I'm going to fire some quick fire questions at you um, that I, I just will run through uh, before sure. we finish up. Um, what do you love and hate about business? 
I love the journey. I love failure. I love people saying that's impossible and then defying them. So I love when I hear the word impossible years ago, I split that word into I'm possible. And then I found out a couple of years later that that's actually credited to Audrey Hepburn. So I didn't know that at the time. I did it myself, but it is credited to Audrey Hepburn. So when I hear impossible, I always think I'm possible. And I like to find them. What do I hate? I hate uh, disingenuous people in business. I hate people who drag you down for the sake of it. And I hate adult bullies. Um, I don't believe as adults we should allow ourselves to be bullied. <clears throat> so I hate when I see it happening to other people. And in the business that I'm in, the amount of executives all over the world that see themselves as more intelligent, that see themselves and their opinions as more important than others is astounding to me. And I hate that. I hate to see it. Wow, interesting. Um, what's the future look like, Keith? What's next for Keith Barry? Oh, God. Okay, so there's a couple of things that I actually can't talk about. Um, and such is my world. So my world is always like, oh, you can't talk about that right now, Keith. We've got to NDA you. So, uh, but ultimately, look, uh, for this year, I, uh, I intend to be back on the screens, both in Ireland and abroad. Uh, I'm focusing a lot on the U.S., so my intention is to get a TV show over there. So I'm creatively visualizing that. Uh, I'm also creatively visualizing myself being on the Graham Norton show. I've taken part of the massive action for that, by the way, and I've got nothing back. So I might have sent, I'm going to say at this stage, I've sent about 44 emails and maybe, I don't know, about 15 phone calls, and I haven't heard anything back. So I've got to figure that out. I've got to figure out how to get on the Graham Norton show. That's kind of a big thing of mine. Um, but I did that last year for the Ellen DeGeneres show. That took 96 emails and 44 phone calls. And I ended up on Ellen DeGeneres uh, in October last year, uh, virtually, of course, from my cabin here. Uh, so I'm trying to do that with the Graham Norton show, TV show in the US, um, TV show here. And then for me, simple things in life, aside from what I love, which is like, I'm, so uh, side note, I love foraging, I love fishing. So it's just to get back to doing the things that I love. Um, I'm gonna say it here, like, if they don't let me fish soon or get out of this, like going to 10 kilometers is no use to me where I live. Like it's literally no use, right? So I need to get to the sea. I need to fish. I need to swim. Like it's a new fad, uh, you know, because of the pandemic that there's lots of swimmers, but I'm one of these people that for years and years and years would swim all year round. So I haven't been able to get to do the things that I love doing. So to get back to do the things that I love doing and then getting back on stage January 1st, 2022. Brilliant, brilliant. Just two things on that. I was rejected 17 times before I got a TED Talk. It took me two and a half years, but I got it in the end. Um, you mentioned foraging. I need to connect you with my cousin. You probably know of him. He owns a little-known bakery in town called Bread 41. Um, okay, I, yeah, don't, I, don't I don't know if you've tried it, but anyway, if you're into foraging and food, he's big on organic, natural, real produce. You have to check him out. Oh, I love that. Well, well listen, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you two things. So one, one is... Like I, so I started foraging already this year. So I make boiled garlic pesto. Um, so that's the first thing that you can kind of do at this time of year. Uh, so I'm all about the environment. So I grow, I don't know how many vegetables in my back garden. I've got a very small back garden, but I've just got containers everywhere that I'm just like growing spud garlic and onions and everything, right? Um, but then I'm trying to find like really good organic meat, right? So this is my new thing. So if any of your listeners, mm -hmm. if any of your listeners know where to get really good like grass-fed organic meat where they're not in cages and they're allowed to walk around and free. I'm all about it. I've done tons of research into this. I bought, I'm going to say it out loud. I bought, I found a place, Ballywillen House. So I bought a ton of this meat. I bought venison and wild boar from them. We ate it for like six days. And then the Food and Health Authority, Authority of Ireland put out a recall on their meat that there were spinal fluids in the meat. The exact meat that I've been eating for like a week. So... <laughs> So here's the problem. When you find something organic, I need, I need an organic farmer that's been around for like, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 years, who's highly established and somebody who delivers because you can't get it. You can't, you know, all I can get to is a supermarket right now. So it's driving me nuts because I am like all about the environment. Like there's a great documentary actually up on Netflix at the moment called Kiss the Ground. Um, I'm good friends with Woody Harrelson. So Woody put me onto that and he's the, cause he does the voiceover for it. Amazing documentary if you need to see it. So, uh, so I'm all about the environment. So if anybody out there knows where I can get meat, 
where the animals have been treated right. I, I'm not going to be a vegan, so I don't want any more notes from any vegans. More power to you. If you want to be vegan, good for you. I'm a carnivore. I love my meat, but I want to do it the right way. Brilliant. I, I could be able to help you on that. Leave that with me. Um, best advice you've ever been given or one that sticks out to you, Keith? Uh, so, so there's a few, a few pieces, actually. So one is uh, the faster you fall behind, the more time you have to catch up. I love that. I read that like 30 years ago and it resonated with me. Um, and then another piece was my, uh, my, my grandmother again, uh, Nancy Barry. She was way ahead of her time way back when she was doing yoga when yoga was never even heard of here in Ireland. So she was the one person who said it to me. We hear it very often, but it resonated with me when it came from her. I came back from one of my first public shows. I was, the kids tore me apart. I was down and out. She just looked at me and she just said, listen, this is the way life is going to be. Never give up. Never. And I drilled it into my kids, NGU, every single morning, never give up when they're going to school, never get, they're tired of hearing me say it. But I know that down the line, when they're in their 20s or 30s, when a big bad moment happens to them, that neurology will kick into their brain and they just won't give up, ever give up. Um, and then there was, oh, and then one final piece was would have been a piece of advice that I saw. Um, I just saw Will Smith saying it. So they asked Will Smith, again, this was years ago that I, I saw this, what's the secret to your success? And it was before he was an actor. It was when he was really just a rapper. He was known as being a rapper. And he said, when all the other rappers are in bed, I'm up practicing my rapping. And, and, and I live by that now. So even so, when I'm up at three o'clock in the morning and I question why I'm up at three o'clock in the morning and the whole world is asleep, or at least the majority of Ireland is asleep, they're going, am I nuts here? What am I doing? I'm falling asleep into the laptop, which people would say is counterproductive. Uh, and I'm like, no, Will Smith said it. So now all the, mag all the magicians are in bed. All the executive coaches are in bed. Everyone's in bed, but I'm up writing and I'm up practicing. I will win. So that's, that's, that's the way I think. Like every single night I'm up late. But here's the gas thing. Like everybody catches on to fads. So I'm sure you heard Robin Sharma. Uh, I really like his writings, by the way. So he, he's written a book called the, the, 5 AM Club, uh, the 5 AM Club. So everybody now, not everybody, but a lot of people, that resonated with them and they jump up at five o'clock in the morning right um so a lot of my friends do it so a lot of my friends who i haven't seen in ages they get up at 5 a.m and they go swimming at 6 a.m i think that's bananas i think it's stupid right and then uh but even robin char even the rock so the rock like was seen as like the epitome of a successful individual like he talks about getting up at 5 a.m but i say work to the hours that work for you so i don't get up at 5 a.m i stay up till 5 a.m. sometimes and then I'll go to bed and then I might sleep in until 10 a.m. Now that works for me. I know other people can't do that, but I just say, don't go with the fads. Figure out what works for you. If you're a night owl, work at night. For me, I get massively creative at night. So I, every single night I'm up to like at least 2 a.m. anyway, like it's hilarious. All these different people who email me and they expect to get an email back like, you know, the next morning, they're getting emails back at 2 a.m. And they all say, do you ever sleep? And I'm like, well, I do, but just not the hours other people sleep. Yes. So, so yeah, so just find the hours that work for you, never give up. Um, and then it's the work ethic, you know, if you, if you put in those errors and you, and you're smart about how you, uh, work during those errors, then you'll win, you know? Awesome. Last two questions, Keith, I swear. If you could have a meal with any five people dead or alive, who would it be? All right. So I'd have a meal with, uh, Pink, the musician, <laughs> randomly <laughs> enough. Uh, I'd love to get inside the Pope's head and brain hack him just for the crack, just to freak him out more than anything. <laughs> to be with you, right? I think he just, uh, he'd lose his mind. Pink, because I just think she's a phenomenal artist, uh, live performer. I've seen her live loads of times. Um, who else would I pick? I would pick uh, probably David Copperfield, because I've met him a couple of times, but I haven't spent too much time with him. And at the end of the day, when I was growing up, he was kind of an idol of mine. So I'd love to just have a proper genuine chat with him uh, and just shoot the breeze if you like. Um, Tony Robbins, I'd like to have a, a good long chat with Tony Robbins and really get inside his head. I'd like to see the other side of Tony. Tony's always switched on all the time, but he's always like on, you know, but I'd like to actually stop him for a moment, like literally stop him in his tracks and just go, where's the real Tony Robbins? What's the real Tony like? You know what I mean? Because I'm sure like he is a bigger, larger version of himself. So I don't mean that he's being disingenuous, but I'd like to just really settle him down and go, okay, tell me about you. 
you know, and how do you, you know, I'd like to know how he feels on a daily basis. So Tony Robbins, uh, and then, uh, let's see who else. I'm not too sure about the other people, who the, the other person might be, maybe David Blaine, just because, you know, Brilliant, brilliant. Um, and Keith, just to finish off, any book recommendations that have helped you or you would recommend to any listeners? Yeah, I think a book that really kind of shifted my mindset a bit would have been Get the Life You Want by Richard Bandler. So I think that's a really good book. Um, I mentioned Robin Char- Sharma, really liked his book. Um, and I am reading, uh, where is it there? I'll, I'll pick it up and show you. Um, I'm reading Man's Search for Meaning at the moment. Really interesting read that. Um, it just shows you that, you know, for me, they were the true resilient people. It shows you that what we're going through right now is nothing in comparison to what other people have gone through in their lives. So Man's Search for me- Meaning is a great read, uh, but I'm a voracious bookworm. I mean, Jack Canfield's uh, Success Affirmations is great as well. Um, I want to read this. I haven't read this yet. Um, but You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. I, I'm really looking forward to reading that. So look, I, look when you mention books, and, and look, just so your listeners know, I didn't know you were going to ask about books. Look, if I just reach over here, let, let, we'll just call these ones out, right? So Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness by just, Jim Rohn. I just so finished listen. that. I just finished that. Keith, are you watching? Yeah, yeah. There you go. There See? you go. Just finished See? it. Amazing. So, so Anything at All by Jim Rohn. So I always look at historically... So Jim Rohn, for anybody who doesn't know, Tony Robbins kind of modeled himself on Jim Rohn, right? Yeah. So Jim Rohn, he was the real deal. Like yeah. he was, his content is really good. Uh, the Ellipsis Man, nothing about it, but I bought it for some reason. Spellbound by David Kwong. Uh, what else have we got? We got Mind Power by James Borg. We got Perform Under Pressure by Dr. Sari Evans. And then Grant Cardone's one is there as well, the 10X rule. But then over here, like listen, that, that's what I was going to say to you. So I just reached right for a second. And now if I reach left, I've got like, um, hang on. I've got like a handbook of hypnotic metaphors and suggestions. Uh, it's the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis book, big, thick, heavy read. Then over here, I've got I, I Can Make You Rich by Paul McKenna. So there, uh, but if I turn my computer around, I can't because it's plugged in right now. Like I've got a library down there. I've got a library inside. So that's the other thing I would say to people. People have become lazy with reading. Um, and it's very easy these days because you've got the audiobooks, So you've no excuse. So while you're traveling, instead of listening to music, stick on a podcast or stick on an audiobook or get back to reading because self-development is absolutely where it's at. Everything. And Keith, where can people stay connected with you or find you? Yeah, so I've got a new YouTube series. This is, I suppose, semi-important. Um, so I'd love if people popped over there because I have been uh, putting together this brain hacking series for a couple of weeks now. Um, so I've got interviews up there on YouTube. So it's just my YouTube channel. People type in Keith Barry onto YouTube. You'll find it there. Um, so I have interviews there with like Rory Best. I've interviews with uh, influencers like Maeve Madden. Um, Ellen Keane is up there. I've also got Sean McGuire, the Hollywood actor, Ed Solomon, the Hollywood writer. Um, so lots of different interesting, unique people. And the whole idea is uh, to get inside their heads and people will learn then, uh, you know, motivational stories, things that they can take home for themselves and use. They'll also learn about uh, the people, obviously, that I'm interviewing. But the, I suppose the concept, the broad stroke is, entertaining, educating, and inspiring people. That's the, the broad stroke across the Brain Hacker series. So that's up on my YouTube channel. Um, and then people can find me on Instagram as well. Just Keith Barry and just find the one with the blue tick because there's a few uh, few dodgeballs out there, a few weirdos out there. So yeah, yeah. Well, Keith, I can say I'm super delighted to have you on. Thank you so much for your time. Lots sure of nuggets. And thank you again, sir. Thanks. Thanks to you. Good luck with it all.